God, what an amazing truth. What an amazing truth that, God, you are everything in life and, and we are completely yours. God, I pray that in this place today that you would speak to each and every one of us in our hearts and in our minds. And church, just wherever you're at right now, just standing or sitting or kneeling, wherever, wherever you're at right now, just would you meditate on God and just say a little prayer to him, just saying, God, thank you. Thank you for your life, for your death, for your resurrection. Thank you for your love. And let's just ask God in this place to speak to each and every one of us. Who knows what your week looked like or this next week will look like. But church, let's surrender our life to him in this place. Let's get refocused that this is about him. It's not about us. So quietly just spend some time talking with God. For some of us, it may be awkward just to stand here. And so maybe words that you can just repeat in your heart and in your mind. Is God, I am yours. God, I am yours. It's not about me, it's about you. God, I am yours. It's about your blood and what you've done for us, God. It's about your forgiveness. It's about you rescuing me. Maybe some of us in this place, we're sitting here right now and and life has been hard. And and I just want to ask you, do you know who God is? Maybe some of us, God is calling us right now, just saying, do you know who I am? Jesus, his love is reaching out to each and every one of us. He's calling us to himself. Church, I encourage every one of us to let down our pride, let down our agenda, just spend moments of silence with God in this place. God, thank you for bringing us here. Thank you for the very life, the very breath that you've given us today. We pray in this place a fresh anointing of your spirit that's pouring in each and every one of us. That God, we leave here just so more excited, more in love with who you are, you. I thank you for bringing all these wonderful people together. We ask that you speak to each and every one of us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, welcome to Church Project. We're glad that you're here today. A lot of smiling faces out there. That's good. Andrew, good to see you, bud. If you make eye contact with me, I'll probably call out your name, huh, Jeff? It's just the the way it happens, so sorry about that. 
Hey, we at Church Project, we've been going through the book of Luke for it seems like 33 years, even though we've only been around for like three and a half years as a church. We're hitting Luke chapter 24 today. Can you believe it? We are on the last chapter of Luke, and then we will unveil pretty soon the secret book we're about to study next. If you pay Jason Shelton enough, he'll tell you which one it is. But we're excited. We're not rushing through the Bible. It's a big book. We believe in everything in the Bible. We're taking our time going through it. We're we're asking this, not what do we see into Scripture, but what is Scripture speaking into our life? And how does that change the way that we think, the way that we move, who we are, the the way that we laugh, the way that we play, the way that we work? Basically, how is Scripture changing us? We read the stories of the Bible and we see Jesus. He was a pretty good lover. We see him doing some incredible things in his life. And and we want to model our life after Jesus. We want to model our life after what we read about in in the New Testament church, the early, early church. And we're glad that you're here today. If you do not have a Bible... Uh, we want to give you a Bible. They're on the lamps on either side. And so you can raise your hand and we'll, we'll bring a Bible over to you. And we're going to be in the last chapter of Luke. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, chapter 24 is where we're going to start. But before we get started today, church, I, um, I, I don't know if, if you know Jeremy and Brittany Ashita. They're, they're right here. Um, incredible people. Uh, a lot of the songs that we sung today were written by this couple right here. What, what an encouraging thing that as a church, I, I, I don't test my theology in this, okay? But as, as a church, I call it first anointing songs. Like songs that, that God has given to Jeremy and Brittany to bring to church project to lead us in worship songs that God is giving our people. I call that first anointing song. Sure, I love to sing Hillsong. I love to sing other worship songs. I call that second anointing. Don't mess with my theology. But it, isn't, it so, isn't it so incredible that, that we get to see someone alive, a couple alive, and what God is doing in their heart. And this Talk about theology. The theology of these words are deep. They're thick. Whatever happens in our life, God is still good. Even in death, God is still good. Any good thing, any bad thing, Chad, sit down. God is still good. And I say amen to that. And I, and I, and I tell you that because of this. Please pray for them. They also do our, our youth group. That's awesome. They do so much here, but pray for them that God would continue to speak into, into your hearts. And once you do, thank you. You're showing us how to be alive. Okay. One of the th- great things that I, that I love about Church Project is, you know, we, we only do a couple things, and this is, this is what we do. Uh, we do our Sunday gatherings. Bravo, you made it. Good job. Good to see you, Jay. Uh, we do that. We do our house churches, and I, I got I to say, I think house churches is one of the coolest things that's happening. In fact, I'm, I'm probably more excited about house churches than anything else, because in house churches, you get together, and you hit each other in the arm and leave bruises, and it's a lot of fun. And you, and you eat, f- no, Christina's saying no. You, you pray for each other. You build relationships with each other. If you have little kids, you're around other people that have little kids, or you're around older people, and, and you, that's where you really get together, and you get to bleed together, cry together, laugh together, go to Bronco games together. Hint, hint. If anyone wants to invite me, I'm joking. House churches is where relationships happen. That's where you open the Bible. That's when you talk and it really intersects your real life, your everyday life. What is God doing in you? And so I want to encourage everyone, if you're not in a house church, get in one. Priority one, get in a house church. 
Because when that bad thing or that terrible thing happens in your life, and it will, because we're not an immortal, when that happens, you have people that love you, that are walking with you, that are praying for you, that can celebrate with you. And church, I just see that as the hope of the church of America. That's the strength of the church. This place, Sunday mornings, I love coming together and rallying and giving everyone a fist bump. But house churches, as persecution happens, as stuff goes in our life, that's where we need to be grounded. And so, church, I encourage every one of you to get involved in a house church. To this degree, I want to I want to uh, just highlight our house church pastors. I saw Carl in here. Where's he? He's the best looking house church pastor we have. Carl, stand up, show the looks, man. There it is. Good looking, huh? One of our house church pastors. By the way, I'm telling you this because they they each have little cards in the back. And if you don't know which house church you want to go to, you can get their number. Uh, you can call them, talk to them. Uh, but Carl's here. Jared, is, did he make it up here yet? Where's Jared at? No, he's not here. You know why? He's out there handing out gum. Oh, he's right there. There he is. What, dude? I'm I'm overlooking you. Jared, you want you stand up? Not as good looking as Carl, but there's Jared. That is a that's our house church, and it's full. You can't come. We have too many people. Uh, I'm I'm joking. You can come. Uh, And then Jeff, where's Jeff at? He's the smartest of the bunch. Jeff, come on. I heard he has filet mignon every week at his house church. Oh, <laughs> that works out good. I like that. I tell you that to highlight this. This is important. Our house churches, please get involved in a house church. Come to talk to either, either of these individuals here or their wives and talk about house church. It's so important to be a part of that. But the third thing that we do, and we're getting so much traction with this, and I love it so much, is we do ministry partnerships. That's where we come together. All of our resources and our ties come together to, to do incredible things. And I don't want to spoil it, but I want to introduce you to uh, Christina because every month we highlight a ministry partnership, and I'll be quiet. So this is Christina. She is our ministry partnership director, and she is going to talk about what we're doing. Hey, I, I'm excited to get in today, into today's message, and so let's just jump right in to Luke chapter 24. Um, if, if you would, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and we're going to look at the last chapter of Luke 24. I believe that God has some incredible things for us as we open up his word together and we study it. And so let me read Luke chapter 24. We're going to look at the first 12 verses and then see and kind of unpack what God may be speaking to each and every one of us. So Luke chapter 24, verse 1. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. Dazzling apparel. I wonder what that looked like. Verse 5. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day, rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale. And they did not believe them. 
But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping in, he looked in and saw the linen cloths by themselves. And he went home marveling at what had happened. If you were here last week, we celebrated Easter. We celebrated Jesus in in human form, all deity dying for mankind. And and, um, now we're coming to the passage right after this where Jesus, the next morning after his crucifixion, he's risen from the dead. And that's what we celebrate at Easter. We celebrate that we serve a living God, a God that is alive, that has defeated death. And as we come to this passage right here, I would like all of us just to put ourselves into this story. Put yourself into the time of when this is being written. Put yourself into being one of the apostles or one of the women as the day before, the night before. We literally watched who we thought was going to change the world and save the world. We literally watched the Messiah. And what happened? He died a horrific death on the cross. Brutal, agonizing death. As he said, Father, it is finished. And he breathed his last death. That just happened last night. And now we cannot wait. We cannot wait for the sun to come up because as the sun comes up, now we're able to to run to the tomb of Jesus, um, our son, our Messiah, our friend. And we're still in shock that this has happened. And this is the passage that says the story of what happens when the followers of Christ go to the tomb. And he's not there. He's not there. What would you think if he wasn't there? I know what I would think. All right, I'm mad now. Like who stole the body of Jesus? I'm, I'm highly upset. What has happened? And I'm not, I cannot, it's not even in my brain. The wiring has not happened where I can think anything beyond someone stole his body. I, I'm not thinking and probably none of us would be thinking he's risen from the dead. We just haven't seen this. This would be a miracle. This would be supernatural. And so as we show up and we don't find his body, we're immediately going, who stole his body? Well, we've been looking through the book of Luke. And if you know the book of Luke, at the very beginning, it says, Luke, the physician, the doctor, he's writing an articulate account of Jesus and his life to Theophilus so that he will know the things of Jesus. And so he's going through and he's, giving, he's crossing all his T's, he's dotting all his I's, and he's telling us about this story. I want to just highlight three things about this passage that we're not really going to talk about. <laughs> you can laugh on that, that's fine. We're not really going to talk about these three things, but I just got to throw them out there. So maybe you can meditate on them this week or in your quiet time, you can kind of pick them up. But here's three things that I think are are really significant aspects of this passage that you can kind of take and and chew on later. One of them is the fact that these women, what did they do? They took spices to anoint this decaying body. They wanted to put spices on this decaying body. Uh, And it shows what they expected to find. They expected to find a dead person, a dead body. Despite, and go back and look through Luke, despite the six different times that Jesus in Luke alone said, I will be risen from the dead, they go to the grave carrying these spices to anoint the dead body. Forgetting about the six other times that Jesus said, I'm going to be raised from the dead. Kind of significant. Study that on your own, Jeff. You'll have fun with that. Second one is this. If 
when you're studying the Bible and you're talking with people, sometimes they'll say it's, it's just a series of, of good stories. Or Jesus was just a good teacher. And they'll begin to discount the Bible and the authority of Scripture. And one of the things that they'll say was, yeah, it's just made up. And, and as we look at this passage, when you're thinking of the context of when it was written, this is the second point that I want to say. If Luke had been making this story up to a generation um, or more after the event... He was making this story up, as sometimes people suggest that he did. Then why would he have women going to the tomb first? Because in the context of this time, women were not regarded as credible witnesses. And so if you were making up a story, why would the first people you have coming into it be women? I can think of better ways to do this, especially in the context of this time. I would have the apostles show up, and I would have all, like, man, celebration and huge things happen if I was making this up. So even the, hello, even even the fact, sorry, guys, even the fact that, that this is what happened, and this is the account that this in here is one of the things that points to the authority of Scripture, because we could think of better ways to write this. The third thing is this. I love this. I could study this all day because I relate to Peter in a big way. What did Peter do in this passage? Man, he got up and ran. He wanted to know. Peter cannot sit still upon hearing the report. He had learned to trust what Jesus predicted. Remember, this is the Peter that just a day before had denied Jesus Christ three times. And Peter said, I will never deny you, Christ. Yet Jesus looked at him and said, yeah, before that rooster crows three times, you're going to deny me? Well, this is a day later. And he hears of Jesus, not in the tomb. And what does he do? He doesn't sit back and go, yeah, I don't think so. He's learned his lesson. He's like, I am going. I am going to see Jesus predicted this and I believe it. He runs. He runs. So those are three things that you're welcome. You can wrestle with those things and study those on your own. I want to get into what I think God has for us this morning. First one is this. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words may never hurt me. You ever, you ever say that? You believe that? Words lead to action. I remember one of my BFFs at it's like a text way to say best friends forever, right? BFF. Growing up, we got in a vicious wrestling match, and I was just better than him, so I destroyed him. It was awesome. He tried to punch me. I mean, we had blood. I mean, it was, it was one of those, those, those manly things you do as a sixth grader. God, I'll beat you up, you know? Like, we got in this huge fight match, and yeah, it hurt, blah, 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 blah. I think back on that day, and I laugh. I'm like, I think I got a black guy. He got beat up. It was great. He might even had bite marks. I get dirty sometimes. Think of that. Doesn't really affect me. I think that was kind of fun when I think back on that event. I'm like, man, I'm glad, I'm glad we did that. It was probably 30 minutes in the front yard. I wonder what my parents thought watching us fight in the front yard. Doesn't affect me. I'm like, that ah, was fun. But I can think back to a few comments that that same person said to me, my BFF, just words, and how they devastated me. Can you? Can you think how words... They, they, they can break you more than sticks and stones. And as we're looking at this passage right here, 
I want you to go through in your own time in these first 12 verses and just write the the action words that happen. You know, in verse 5, Jesus said to them. In verse 6, he told them. In verse 8, they remembered his words and and, and that he told them. And in verse 10, he told them. And in verse 11, these words. Like you see these words that Jesus is saying and we look back through scripture, we look back through all the time and we see prophecy being fulfilled right here. Words, words that were drawn into action and if the people would have remembered the words of Jesus Christ, they would have went and said, our Jesus is risen and they wouldn't have been just confused about what was going on. It's like words came in and words went out and Jesus all along is doing what he said he was going to do. His words led to action. Do you want to be a person who is more? And there's a, here's like a, a line to fill in right here, okay? So I'll just give a couple questions for you. Do you want to be a person who is more filled with joy? Do you want to be a person who is more at peace in life, who's more alive? Do you want to be a person who is, is freed from addiction? Do you want to be a person that's more positive? That's, I'm working on that, by the way. <laughs> I need to be more positive in life. I've found that uh, my words have gotten kind of sarcastic, and we can look in Scripture of what sarcasm will do. Pray for me. I need to be a lot more positive and encouraging to my family, to you as church, to friends and family. I want to be a person that's more positive. Do you want to be a person that is more sure of the future? A person that is filled with love? Do you want to be a person who is an encourager and less of a hater? I like that word, hater. Do you want to be a person who is more confident in who God created you to be? And just fill in the line. What do you want to be more, more known about? Who do you want to, to be more of? And when you fill in that line, I say this. Words lead to actions. We believe in the absolute truth of the word of God. Amen? We believe that the word of God is absolute truth. And we believe that every word that Jesus says, should I just do something? What should I do? I don't know what to do. We'll keep going. If that happens, just, just say amen. amen. Preach it. Amen. amen. Preach it. We, we believe in the absolute truth of the word of God. We believe that everything in there is on purpose from God to direct us and direct our lives. And so we believe in the absolute truth of the word of God. And our purposes are more about him and what he has already done and less about us. Paul writes, in 2 Corinthians ten seventeen, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Not boast in ourselves, not boast in how we can bite our best friend and beat him up, not boast in how talented, how good looking we are, Carl. No, boast in the things of the Lord. Those are the words, those are the things that drives us. Those are the absolute truths. And as Jesus is speaking words, these just aren't words. These are powerful words that are fulfilling prophecy, and that are setting a hope for us that we can count on. I woke up this morning in my prayer. I tweeted. (laughs) Sent a tweet. Sorry, Jeff, that's a technology thing. You knew that. I sent out a tweet, and I sent out a prayer, and this is what it said this morning for pastors everywhere, that that they would show up and shut up. And that was my prayer for me this morning too, that I would show up and I would shut up this morning. I would let God do his thing. 
That it wouldn't be my words, it would be his words. What an honor it is to tell his story with our lives. May we be alive in him, church, as he speaks. May his words lead us to action. Came across a, a great quote this week by Nelson Piercy. And, and this is what Nelson Piercy says about, about words. Every word that goes out has a consequence attached to it. Ooh, man, hello. So it's like in a big stadium. Everything, every word that goes out has a consequence attached to it. How you speak to your friends, your family members, your coworkers will determine the quality of those relationships. Your internal dialogue with yourself will determine the quality of your actions and interactions each day. It naturally flows that the quality of your life is determined by the words you speak. Would you agree with that? You wake up and you say, I'm the most terrible person in the entire world. I'm a worm. I'm a cesspool. I'm good for nothing. How is that going to drive your actions throughout the entire day? What we say about us is how we move forward in life. More importantly, what we say about who God is. You're laughing at cesspool, huh? I haven't said that word in a long time. More importantly, what we say and who we say God is drives what we think about him and our actions. Luke 6, 43 through 45, powerful passage of scripture. I saw you yawning. It says this. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit. For figs are not gathered from the thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Church, I'm going to ask a question. Do you believe in the words of Christ? Do you believe he is who he says he is? It's not about us. Do you believe he loves you as much as he says he loves you? And I want to ask that again because some of us think that God is just a wrathful God that's going to smite us at any moment if our actions don't line up with him. And we think we're here and we have to perform to get his love. Scripture that I read, the scripture that I've studied, scripture that I give my, my life for says this, God loves you. And if you were here last week, you got that same message and hopefully you get this same message from here going forward. Do you believe that he loves you as much as he says he does? End of story. Not because of our actions. Our words are powerful. His words lead to action. And we can count on the words of Christ as he speaks. Let's go to the second thing. Jesus' resurrection is ours. And Jack, I hope the mic stands up for this one. Because this, this is good. This is where you can get your amens on. This is where I'm going to turn more into like preaching it mode than teaching it mode. Because I believe in what's happening right here. You ready for this? I just took a drink. It's going to be good. Jesus' resurrection is our resurrection. Here we go. It's not over. Life is 
Life is not over. He has not brought you this far to leave you. Right now, the most powerful force in the universe is at work in you. He knows how to resurrect dead dreams. What are you going through in life right now? What's been dying in you as you've gotten older and wiser, a little more politically correct? What's been dying in you? Jesus has designed us to be incredible human beings, capable of great, great things in his power. He's given us so much talent and ability and spiritual gifts. But yet some of us, we die to those things. We become a little more mature. And I'm here to tell you today that he's not done with you. That dream is not dead. He's alive. We celebrated it last week. We continue to celebrate it this this week. Jesus defeated death. What everyone thought was the end of the story. No, no, no. That was the beginning. The resurrection is coming. What is he doing even in your heart, in your mind right now? He's speaking to you. He's saying, I love you. I don't care about your past actions. I love you right now. Will you believe that I love you as much as I say that I love you? It's not over, church. Here's the deal, though. If you're going to see a resurrection, you can't get stuck in the death or burial. Some of us think that, oh, that's a dead dream. God can't use me, and we're stuck in the death and burial, and we have to go through those hard times. So why? We can go and we can celebrate. Jesus is alive. He's moving in our life. So get ready church, for God to do something new in your life. The story does not end in defeat. It ends in victory. God has the final say. People cannot stop the work of God in you. I'm going to say that again. People cannot stop the work of God in you. God is saying, it's not over. I'm going to finish what I started. Amen? This is good. If we understand how much God loves us, it drives us insane. We seek a love affair with Jesus Christ. We seek a relationship with Jesus. God is seeking the same thing from us. Look back in Genesis 3.9. And if you look back in Genesis 3.9, you see this incredible story of Adam and Eve and the Garden of Eden and a great place I would love to spend some time in. I wonder if it had a beach. Probably did. I don't know. But we look back in the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve, they were afraid. Why? In in chapter 3, verse 9, they were afraid because they had blown it. Any of you ever blown it? They had blown it. And God came looking for them. Look at that. God came what? Looking for them. Did he lose them? All-powerful God, did he lose them? Did he not know where they were at? No, he knew exactly where they were at, and he knew that they had blown it. But what does God do in 3.9? He comes looking for them. God wasn't lost. He is looking for you right now. Even when you make mistakes, God is saying, where are you? Where are you? It's not about your actions. It's about being in a relationship with you. God is saying, I want to have a relationship with you. Do you 
believe that I love you as much as I say I love you. Some of us, we need to claim this. Psalms 116, 8 and 9. You can write that down. Psalms 116, 8 and 9. Some of us need to pray this all, every day this week. We need to leave here chanting this. We need to memorize this because Satan is whispering lies about our inadequacies and, and how Jesus didn't die for you and he's not covering over your sins. And Psalms 116, 8 and 9 says this. For I have delivered, uh, for you have, sorry, delivered, uh, de- let me start over. For you have delivered my soul from death. My eyes from tears my feet from stumbling. I walk before the Lord in the land of the living. This is the God that I know. He's a deliverer. He's a redeemer. Are you calling on his name? Are you saying, God, here's my life. I surrender to you. Or are you still just that proud where you think you can do life on your own? Good luck with that. It's not going to work out so well for you. I can speak from experience. Some of us need to claim Psalms 37, 14 through 15. says this, The wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and needy, to slay, to slay those whose way is upright. Their swords shall enter their own heart, and their bows shall be broken. See, Satan wants to derail you. We can stand on the absolute truth that as a child of a king, God loves us and is pursuing a relationship with us. Are we surrendering control to him today, church? His resurrection is our resurrection from death. We deserve death. Jesus' blood covers that, and we get to celebrate his life because of him and what he's already done for us. Church, I got to tell you this to wrap it up. The best moments of your life are just ahead. Regardless of what the economy looks like, regardless of what political defeat you're you're having in America, victory you're having in America, regardless of how much you lost in your 401c or whatever, retirement plan, I can't even say it, 401k, regardless of what that health record looks like. Your best days are ahead, church. Your best laugh is just ahead. Do you believe that? Do you look into the future and say, I'm going to have the best laugh I've ever had in the future? Do you believe that? There's more joy just ahead of us, church. The best song of your life is just ahead. You're going to sing an incredible song. Your best days are to come. You have not danced your best dance yet. Why? Because God is at work in your life. He's making you more like him every day. That's the God I serve. That's the Jesus that's alive. He's not dead. He's resurrected. He defeated death. We can stand on his absolute truth. And we can celebrate life in Jesus. That's a good message. God, I thank you for today. I don't even have human words to express how much gratitude I have for what you have done, what you've accomplished, how you've defeated death, how you're calling every one of us, God. So I'll just use the frail word of thank you. Thank you. 
I pray in each and every one of us today, we would celebrate who you are. We'd celebrate your words. We'd celebrate how you weren't just word. You were word and deed and you accomplished, you did, you fulfilled and you continue to do it in our life. And I pray for every one of us in this room how Satan is whispering, you can't do it. You've been defeated. You're not worth it. I pray against that and say, God, may we celebrate your resurrection. May we celebrate that the best days are ahead because you're making us more like you every day. I pray that we celebrate being alive with you in this place right now, right here today. It's not us, it's you. But you move through us, these human forms, to accomplish your will. And oh God, this world needs more hope and love. We humbly submit our lives to you and and gladly say, use us in whatever form, whether it's death, whether it's tears, whether it's joy, whatever comes, use our life, God, We stand for hope and life, a future, and we stand against the gate of hell. We stand against death. We stand against defeat. We stand against Satan's little whispers and juvenile attempts. We know the end of the story, and you are victorious, and we're victorious in you. God, that's what we celebrate today. I pray in each and every one of us, in our hearts, that in this place, you would show us how much you love us. Not our deeds, us. Some of us, we may be wrestling with God. Here's the bottom line in the story that I can tell you with my life. I don't deserve his love. My sin has separated me from him. He knew that. So he sent his only son to die on the cross to cover over all the sin in my life. And he says, that's the love that I'm pursuing to you. Will you reach out and accept that love? It's really that simple. In this place, would you say, God, I accept that love today. Please forgive me from going against your perfect word and who you are. I deserve death and you stepped in, paid the price in full. And God, I am thankful, humbled. I don't know what else to do but worship you. Teach me how to love you more. Show me who you are more. I want to be more like you, Christ. Just pray quietly. God, show me who you are. Show me how much you love me. Maybe as you're praying, God will bring to mind things that just don't line up according to his word. Would you just put those things in your hand and hand them to God? Say, God, these don't belong in my life. I want to give them to you. I want to be more like you. Make me more like you, Christ. No matter the cost, no matter how hard it may be, I desire to be a man and a woman that looks more like you and is more in love with you. God, all my life, use it, whatever it may be. Give me the courage to stand up and do what you're asking me to do. And God, beyond that, give me the courage to be who you're asking me to be. May we find our identity in you and nothing else. Church, I'm going to ask us if we would just just to stand as a body because I don't know how else 
to move forward with such a love story than to worship God, our creator. And so if you're in in this place and you have a, a child in Project Kids, would you quietly and quickly go retrieve that child and come back? And as a family, let's worship together. And we're going to take communion as, as a family. And so here's how we can worship God. With our words, as we sing, with our offerings on either side, with the communion on the either side. The communion is taking a piece of bread and dipping it in the grape juice and being thankful for what Christ has done for us and how he's loved us and saying, we will not forget what you've done. And so maybe it's through communion, maybe it's through singing. However it is today, we pray that this is not fake to you, but this is a real moment where you press in and encounter the love of Jesus Christ in your life and that you begin to believe that he loves you as much as he says he does. Amen.